Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to today's program, and I am once again in North Wales, and I'm with a dear friend. His name is Mr. Nasty. Well, his real name is John Forrest, but he's known to many kids over here in Great Britain as Mr. Nasty. So, Mr. Nasty, could you introduce yourself? Hello, Mr. Nasty here. (laughs) And um, when I ask people how they're feeling, or the children how they're feeling, there's an answer. I wonder, Dan, if you can remember what the answer is when I say, how are you feeling, kids? And they'd say, terrible. Ah, nearly, nearly. It's been a long time, hasn't it? They'd actually say, horrible. 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 Okay. Not not horrible, but horrible. horrible. But actually, Mr. Nasty wasn't only horrible. He was, and still is, the world's greatest arguer. <laughs> well, I don't know where this interview is going to go, but it sounds like it's going to be most interesting. Uh, Mr. Nasty, tell us how the character evolved and some of the things you would argue about. Okay, well, I don't, in, in reverse order, I, was, I would argue that the world is flat <laughs> or that um, fridges, uh, refrigerators are really uh, hot inside and only go cold when you open the door. <laughs> I'd argue that the sun is really cold and if you were to touch it, you'd find that out. And all my listeners were children aged 8 to 12, so they'd all ring up. Um, call in and they'd argue against me and I'd always win the argument so it started in a radio station in London called LBC Radio when I was on the staff there producing a children's programme in about 1974 now Dan, what were you doing in 1974? 1974 I was working for the Middlesex County Times, the local paper in Ealing in West London and you were doing some other freelance work weren't you? Yeah, I was doing all sorts of different uh, things. I was working as a stringer for most of the nationals and eventually finished up in the tabloids just around the corner from LBC. That the, ra- the radio station where I worked. Yes. And um, one day, I don't know, oh yes, it was through a Christian organisation which we both belonged to. Uh, we met, and I'm sure we did lunch because I used to do lunch in those days, <laughs> as I think you did. And um, you uh, you were looking for stories constantly weren't you yeah and uh, so what better story could there be than mr nasty the world's greatest arguer <laughs> can you remember what happened then well all i can remember is we had this great picture of you climbing out of a, a dustbin or as a garbage can as we said and it caused quite a stir yeah yeah because you i remember you selling it to your editor yeah. whatever and um it was publicity i was aged 24 four or five at the time so I was up for that and I had to have a t-shirt made which said Mr Nasty on it and uh, yeah you must have found a dustbin from somewhere <laughs> where'd you get that from I don't know I, mean, I left the cameraman to do that but it, it caused quite a sensation at the time and uh, uh, actually you went on to do it on tv as well but um, what was the thinking behind this character well, uh, the serious thinking, I mean, it was, it was an entertainment show, but the serious thinking is to try and help children to understand 
what a good argument is and boy do we need that today in 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 this uh in the year 2018 uh, where we have politicians world leading politicians lying to us and uh you know it's very difficult to know now sometimes what the truth is and um um do you know back in 1975 when Mr Nasty was on the airwaves there was an election in America I can't remember who the candidates were then Um, but Mr Nasty in London went on the radio and said I'm going to be the next president of the USA (laughs) why because I'm going to say I am the next you know because no one can beat me at arguing and anybody who tried to beat Mr Nasty he would just be stupid with and he would say the most ridiculous things now does that ring any bells for uh, any of the American people who got elected, you know, um, a couple of years ago? <laughs> I think it did. I just wonder sometimes if um, if there was an American in London in, the seven, in 1975 um, who was listening to Mr. Nasty and learning how to uh, argue uh, from listening to Mr. Nasty. And one day I'm going to make a film. In fact, I'm beginning to make a film now, which shows that that's actually it was Mr. Nasty who was the original uh, nasty person. And uh, the, there are some people, dare I say it, now in the White House who think they're nasty, but not they're not as good at arguing as Mr. Nasty is. So, <laughs> you know, watch out, because here we come. Okay. Now, just tell me about some of the sensational stories you did while you were in Fleet Street, apart from Mr. Nasty. Well, part of my job, John, eventually when I joined the Sunday People, or as Monty Python used to call it, the Sunday Peephole, um, I I would, whenever somebody had a nervous breakdown or a heart attack or something, I would do their stories. And at the time, the most notorious gangsters in Britain were called the Cray Twins. And so I managed to get access to the Cray twins, got to know Mrs. Cray very well. And um, I did their story of their life in prison for their various murders. I did a story with a lady called Diana Dawes, who was a well-known British actor. She was a sort of British Marilyn Monroe about her alleged affair with Elvis Presley. And so I, I did a lot of those different showbiz stories. And one of the reasons we got to know each other, John, besides LBC, was a group called the Arts Centre Group. And this was set up as a, as a sort of refuge for Christians in media. And I found it a tremendous help to be able to go there and meet people in media who were, you know, maybe were not accepted within their local churches particularly well. Is that how you got involved? Well, sort of, yes. I mean, I agree with what you just said about the Art Centre Group, that it had that purpose. But but the other purpose for me was to help us... Uh, take the Christian faith seriously and take our job seriously as well. So, you know, um, for me, uh, being at a news radio station, it was very important to um, uh, to look at truth and uh, to, to try and hold to truthful principles. And this is back in the 1970s, and boy, do we need that now in a way which we haven't done before. Um, uh, now, you, Dan, you would because you, you were dealing with some of these shall we say shady characters sometimes but like the cray twins who were who were known criminals and and so on you were involved in all that sort of slightly murky world weren't you dan 
I was very much so, and it, it was a very difficult time, John, because, you know, the one side of me enjoyed getting involved in the lives of these strange people and um, getting these stories published in a newspaper with a multi-million circulation. But the other side was, you know, the ethics of it. Here I am, a Christian, doing questionable things, doing questionable stories, and I was beginning to wonder, you know, what am I doing here? I mean, I'm getting drunk at night because all the other reporters get drunk, and uh, it was a, it was a very concerning time. And it all turned around for me, John, when one night a, a friend turned up at the Stab in the Back pub, which was very close to the LBC studios where you were based as well. And uh, uh, he, he had what I call a ministry of rebuking. And he said, Danny said, look at you. He said, God's given you this gift as a writer and all you do is write drivel. And I said, why don't you just go and play in the traffic? because uh, I didn't appreciate him saying that. And he said, I'm going to challenge you, Dan, to give your life back to Christ, walk out on your career, and come with me to Uganda and write a story about the church under Idi Amin. He said, something like half a million people have been murdered by this terrible man, and uh, you know you can do something really important with your life instead of these uh, silly stories. And so that was the turning point for me to... Um, uh, to go back into Christian writing, Christian media. But uh, was, there, was there a time when you felt disillusioned, John, and felt maybe you need to move on to something else? Uh, okay, well, <laughs> I need to throw that question back at you because um, it wasn't just the, as you, as you call them, silly stories you were writing. Um, you were in a world of tabloid journalism where they, the truth wasn't always the most important thing. What was more important, perhaps, was getting the story yeah. and making the story sound sensational. Is that right? In many ways, yes. I mean, you know, there used to be a, a cynical motto, never let the truth <laughs> interfere with a good story. And eventually, after five years of that, I began to think, this is ridiculous, you know, some of the stuff I'm doing. But what a training to be able to communicate to the masses through the, the tabloid press. And that was a great training ground for me to move on to other things which I consider now much more important. Mm, yes, because eventually, well, later, you, you went over to California and based yourself there. By the way, we're delighted to have you back in, in the UK, where you need to be. This is the place to be, particularly in Buckley here in, uh, in <laughs> Wales. Yeah, a great place. And it's great to visit you today. But um, but but then a lot of your work uh, in California has been with Christian people, hasn't it? With Christian organisations. Yes. Yeah. So this is this is a very awkward question to ask you. Um, but I wonder if in the in the thirty odd years you did that job, whether you've always felt that the Christian people have always focused themselves on telling the truth. Or have there been times where you may have felt, actually, um, you know, sometimes the, the techniques are a bit dubious? I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, there are, there are certainly uh, groups over in the States, including some of the televangelists that uh, seem to be you know, more interested in a business than sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And I work mainly 
Uh, I mean, I did a lot of showbiz interviews, but I worked mainly with persecuted Christians who had nothing, you know. I mean, I would go into Gaza or go into war zones um, like El Salvador and meet the believers and write about them. And the training I think I got, John, from working in 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 the tabloids enabled me to be able to do interviews with people who maybe didn't particularly want to be interviewed, but also I had to be very sensitive that if I write a story about so-and-so, and that gets published, they could get killed. Mm. And so I had to be very, very careful in, in doing it. But it was a, it was a good training ground. And, and, and uh, I'm glad I was in the tabloids, um, you know, because I think I did learn a lot. But it also <laughs> nearly destroyed my marriage and my life for a while. And uh, fortunately, my wife, Norma, has been such a help. We've been married 55 years now. And, um, you know, we're back in, in Britain again. But the great thing is to be able to meet friends like yourself who've also been through quite a few uh, ups and downs, you know. But one of the things we, we noticed back here, John, and you could maybe talk about this, is uh, television is very different today than when we left. Yeah. Um, when we initially left, there were no Christian radio stations and religion was just allowed. It was just religion. John, you, you play quite a role in helping to develop a program called Songs of Praise. And uh, that's a show which uh, is, I think it would do very well in America, you know, because uh, they tell human stories, but also have these wonderful uh, sing-alongs with the hymns, you know, uh, on the screen and people can sing along. But tell us, you were involved, is it, was it the biggest sing-along ever in Britain? Uh, not quite that, time, but uh, yeah, so let me just put the record straight. Songs of Praise is about 60 years old, so um, I didn't invent it. I joined it, it was already... 30 or 40 years old when I joined the, the, the staff but um, as, a t- as a producer director but um, uh, I, I um, wanted to make, I, I didn't really want to make a programme just for old people who, like, who enjoy singing, <laughs> that there's nothing wrong with that at all, that's a perfectly a good thing to do, particularly singing hymns and stuff, but I wanted to try and um, connect with, with as many people as I could through it uh, and yes so when it was the millennium, which is oh, a long time ago now, um, I produced a programme from then. It was the brand new stadium in Wales, here in Wales, at the Cardiff um, just opened. They did the Rugby World Cup from there. And uh, then I, uh, we, we had 60-odd um, thousand people on Millennium Sunday and the, had the Prince of Wales and his sons there. That's the, the future king of the UK and all that. Um so yeah, but um, in America, of course, there are lots of big events. You know, it's it's not uncommon for religious um, uh, organisations, Christian ones, to fill big stadia. That's not that's that's uh, that happens quite often. It's unusual over here in the UK. And what was particularly good, I think, in the Songs of Praise was it isn't it wasn't just people from one branch of the Christian church. So it wasn't just evangelical people. It was people who who don't go to church a lot, who just thought, well, they knew the program and it was something to do on New Year's Day. So they all came along. And uh, that's very important that we had all sorts of people able to 
um, worship God together and to see something about him. And then when uh, when I moved on from doing that program, I ran a film festival when you and I last met, actually, about six, seven years ago. And and then we in, we increased the the um, the coverage of that to to include people of different faiths, not just of the Christian faith, uh, because we think faith, you know, and I, I, I think faith is something that's very important and it's getting a bad press at the moment. Um, uh, and it's you can't blame it on the media. Uh, I, when I was in America with you, I was at a conference and you got all these people running Christian radio stations and Christian TV stations, and they're all moaning and whinging, saying saying that things are all going bad because of the media. <laughs> I thought, well, that's a bit weird because they run the media, and they say that what they'd be talking about is what they call the secular media. Yeah. Okay, it's just media. Actually, there's no difference. Um, but now you've got a problem because the so-called Christian media often is owned by very rich people. And rich people decide what's going to be said on them. And uh, that's a bit of a problem because they're not free enough to say, to, to be um, open with people. Uh, so, for example, you're not allowed to doubt in the Christian faith. Well, you know, I, I'm old enough to, to, to understand that doubt is part of faith. You know, it's not you're just saying one side of it isn't enough. You've got to. So that the old Songs of Praise program, that's one of its strengths. There was a. I, I've not made it for four or five years now, but I was watching it the other Sunday and there was a brilliant interview with this guy whose wife had sadly died young, both young people. And he promised his wife that um, should she die, he would carry on with his Christian faith. You know, that's what the, that's what the interview is about. And he was asked, how, how, how did it, how was it going sort of thing? And his answer was really, really interesting. He said it was very, very hard. You know, it was really the hardest thing ever. But he was determined to carry on. And then he was asked, "Do you ever doubt the faith?" And his answer was, "Oh, yeah, yeah, loads." You know, and, so, and it was a very, very real, honest answer from someone who was, um, shall we say, struggling with his faith. Now you went over to California to live. Now we know that. California is full of massive great churches where people um, people affirm the faith a lot. Did you ever meet people who doubt their faith? Yes, particularly those who got involved in drug problems, uh, marriage problems. I, I used to run a drug rehabilitation farm with my wife many years ago here in the UK and so I was always interested to go and visit Christian rehabilitation centers for drug addicts. And um, I interviewed one gentleman who had, um, had been on heroin for many, many years, come off heroin and was doing really well, had a bit of a motorcycle accident and finished up on prescription drugs. And he was way back again on the drugs and he began to doubt his faith, began to doubt everything, because here he was addicted again. This time they were prescription drugs, but uh, they were still drugs, you know. And he had to come through that. And it was very moving, John, to to talk to this gentleman about, you know, how he almost lost his faith because of prescription drugs. And um, there are a lot of people like that who won't admit, honestly, that they do have these problems. And... Um, uh, and so, yes, it, it is 
it is of great concern to and all of it, us. It's not know. just that, though, is it? It's um, it's like when you read the Psalms, there's this deeply spiritual man from thousands and thousands of years ago who's shouting at God, saying, look, God, where are you? You know, do you yeah. care? And all that sort of stuff. And, and the, you know, in, in the roller coaster of faith, there are other times when the, the, the psalmist praises God and says, God, you, you mean everything. But it's that mixture is, to me, really important. Now, I tell you, someone we share in common, you and me, uh, someone who's described himself as the world's worst Christian. <laughs> Any idea who I'm talking about? A rock star? Is that uh, Mr. Richard, Cliff Richard? Uh, Sir Cliff? No, no, Sir Cliff is someone we share, but no, you're nearly right. Rick Wakeman? That's the one, yeah. (laughs) I I, I love Rick to bits, and he's been so helpful to me at times, and I met him through you. Yeah. Um, But I say he sometimes describes himself as the world's worst Christian, and actually if you read his autobiography or his biography, which, did you write that? I wrote it, it. Okay, well, well, you can see see why he might come to that conclusion. But he's just open and honest about his his faith, and I think that's really good. And I think that's wonderful. Tell me how you met Rick Wakeman. Well, I met him in Ealing, of all places, (laughs) working on a local paper, and um, I think you, you might get a kick out of this. I was given the job of the South Ealing reporter in this part of um, London. And uh, the only famous place in South Ealing is the BBC Film Studios. And so I decided I would knock on the the door there, go in, ask for the BBC press officer, and explain I worked for the local paper. And the lady said, well, would you, you want a good story? And I said, yeah. She said, well, we've got a bunch of lunatics about to start a new show here called Monty Python's Flying Circus. Would you like to write the very first story? So I said, yeah, I didn't know who they were. And that eventually resulted in me becoming uh, good friends with them. I would travel around with them. When they did Life of Brian, I did a big story called Monty Python Sends of Jesus, and we fell out a little bit over that one. But the same day I went down the road, finished up in a music musical bargain centre, and there was Rick Wakeman at 17 years of age playing on the organ, and I asked him if I could do a story about him. And uh, it was the very first time he'd ever been uh, in, in, the, in print. He had uh, just appeared on Morning Has Broken with Cat Stevens. He'd played the piano on that. He also played uh, Mellotron with uh, David Bowie on Space Oddity. And so he was so thrilled with the story that I wrote about him, he invited me round to his house and shared with me that he was a believer, that he went to South Harrow Baptist Church. He'd just been baptized. He was a Sunday school teacher. And, of course, many of you will know that he's been touring with some of his colleagues from Yes and uh, is now also touring with a, a new piano event he's involved with. It's my 78th birthday on December the 19th, and he's uh, invited me and the whole family as his guest to his show in Manchester. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, let me just say this interview is going rather well, <laughs> uh, and, but p- permit me to ask you a, a question now, sure. uh, which might be hard to answer, but a lot of the, the stories you've told us about your life um, are... Um, you've written down or we've we've heard about before is there anything about your working life which you haven't written down anywhere or or told i think most of it has been written because you know at my 
my autobiography, which was initially called 26 Lead Soldiers and then became From Tabloid to Truth, is being turned into a movie uh, and turned into a movie script. And so just about everything. Who's, incl- who's playing you? We, we haven't found anybody to play me yet. <laughs> no. The, the good news is that Rick Wakeman's agreed to do the music. Okay, right. So right. We're, we're, we're looking for the money, and, uh, but we've right. got a Hollywood okay. so, thing. So I, know, I told you my question was hard. But yeah. Is there something that hasn't been written? Is there some secret? What, what's, the, what's the secret? Down well, I, I think the big secret is, and it's not really a secret, is coming back to Britain thinking we were going to have this wonderful, happy time, and all of a sudden having a whole series of illnesses. Um, I'm just about to have uh, surgery for lung cancer. Uh, I've got leukemia, um, and I've had blood clots on the lung. Uh, and so that has really been a very difficult time for me. But being me, I've written most of it on Facebook. And um, I just want to thank everybody who's been praying for me uh, to continue to pray and especially pray for Norma because it's been tough for her to come back here to see our kids and then suddenly have a husband uh, have all these problems. Okay, so hearing all that, what does a tabloid journalist ask you? What's the question? I think the tabloid journalist would say, well, what would you say is the uh, the headline for your life story? And I think it really is from tabloid to truth because, you know, having gone through the tabloids, which is really half truth, <laughs> and now I've been involved in the truth of the gospel, but also the truth of the persecuted church. You know, the last 25 years or so have been almost exclusively devoted to bringing the stories of these heroic believers. And you know. also, Dan, the, the, the truth of what's happening to you at the moment. Yeah, and even, even you know, uh, some people would say, well, look, Dan, you know, you've lived a life serving the Lord, now you're going through all these problems. How do you explain it? And I don't explain it. I can't explain it. I just have to accept it. Well, <laughs> that was a, <laughs> that, that a, tur- a turnaround. <laughs> Well, no, no, I tell you what, I think a tabloid journalist would ask, how do you feel? I feel pretty good. I feel amazingly well. You know, I just had good news that um, I I thought I had a whole series of uh, cancers inside my uh, trachea, which would have possibly resulted in the whole thing being taken out and having to have one of these voice boxes. And having the gift of the gab, that was the one thing I wouldn't I would not like to lose is my voice. Dan, <laughs> Dan I don't think you've lost the gift of the gab. <laughs> and I'm, I'm delighted that you haven't. So it's great to be speaking with you. Well, we've been speaking with John Forrest, who is not really Mr. Nasty anymore. Yes, I am. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Nasty. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank John very much for being on the program. Okay, it's a pleasure to be with you, Dan. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.